Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Uh, whose finances are also uh, invested in the kingdom of God. Revelation tonight. Let's turn to the book of Revelation. I don't know about you, but uh, this study in the book of Revelation that we've been doing has been helpful to me personally, and uh, as we are going through verse by verse and line by line to discover and reveal the things that God has to say to us. As we are looking now in the book of Revelation and chapter 3, we have seen Uh, that these are a series of letters that have been written to the churches in what is modern-day Turkey, known in the time as the region of Asia, Asia Minor. And uh, these letters are actually written in a certain order. Imagine if you were delivering mail uh, to these various cities. This is the route that you would take. It begins as your ship would arrive in the city of Ephesus on the coast of Turkey and then would begin basically a big circle around these, uh, these various cities. And so in each one of these cities, there is a church. These letters were written about uh, 60 years after Jesus has left the earth. The apostle John, of course, is the one who has put in pen putting pen to paper, as he receives the word from the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, he is about uh, 90 years old or so as this is happening. And, uh, and so we have seen the various letters that Jesus is writing to his churches. We saw the, book of, uh, the letter to the church in Ephesus, who was a careless church. The church in Smyrna, which was crushed because of persecution. Uh, We saw in Pergamos, the church that was filled with compromise. And uh, last time we came together to look in Revelation, we read about the church in Sardis, uh, which was the crippled church, a church that looked good from the outside and had a good reputation. But Jesus saw them as they really were. He said, you are dead and dying. And from each one of these letters that Jesus is writing to his church, Jesus is giving even revelation about himself. And that's why this is a good study to give our attention to. Tonight, uh, we want to look at the sixth out of the seven churches, the church in a city that may sound familiar to you. It is the church of Philadelphia. There is a great American city that was named after this very city. And in our scripture, we're going to learn that this church, in verses 7 through 13, 
is a church that is faithful, a church that is doing what it is called to do. And so let's, uh, let's look tonight in the Word of God as we read about the Philadelphia church, beginning with verse 7. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. But you have little strength. You have kept my word and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but they lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. Because you've kept my command to persevere, I will also keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world, to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Can I just take a moment to remind you that that is still true? I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar. In the temple of my God, he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. And I will write on him my new name. Let him, let, uh, sorry, he who has in here, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray for just a moment. Lord, we come once again by the blood of Jesus. We thank you. For the miracle of commitment and faithfulness that you would give to your people. God, that you would help us to be inspired by this letter that you wrote to your church in Philadelphia. God, as they were committed and faithful to the cause that you set before them. Lord, you did not rebuke them as you did these other churches in uh, your book of Revelation. But God, the reason is because you are in love with those who are committed to you. Help us, O God to have greater levels of commitment and faithfulness to your will and to your purpose in our lives. We thank you all that you're going to do in Jesus' mighty name. God's people would say, amen. So tonight, the church of Philadelphia, also known as the committed church or the faithful church. So this city of Philadelphia was about 75 miles away from the coast. There was a great highway, a road that connected all of these cities. And uh, uh, on this city, there was also a great highway. Uh, There was a crisscross, one that went north and south from Sardis to Laodicea, and also a, a road that went east to west. It stood on the border. At that time, there was a border between other nations, Lydia, Phrygia, and Pisidia. This was a fairly young city. For most of these other cities, they were ancient, going back into uh, ancient times. But this city had only been founded about 250 years earlier. And so it was one of the youngest cities in the area. Philadelphia, of course, is a, a Latin name, and it means the city of brotherly love. The reason that the city had this name is because it was founded Uh, It was named after a king of a nation called Pergamum. 
And uh, he had great love. The king's name was Attalus, and he had a brother named Eumenes. And so this city was named after this king who had a great brotherly love for his brother. But it was important for us to understand why this city is here. This was an outreach city. And what I mean by that, when it was founded in uh, the year 140 B.C., it was basically the height of the Greek empire. The Greeks were known for conquering so many lands and cities and places. Alexander the Great was on the forefront of expanding the Greek empire. Uh, just just a blink at me if you're still listening, all right? So the Greek empire was expanding quickly. And this city was on the outer rim of the Greek empire at one time. The reason that they put this city at this place was because it was a crossroads. And they decided we need a city here to represent the Greek culture. It was an outreach city. It was a place that was intended to show the world and every traveler that came through how awesome the nation of Greece was. It was a place intended to be an outreach. Now, just from that truth tonight, we can gain some good understanding. Did you know that we as a people of God are supposed to be ambassadors for his kingdom? That the church of Jesus Christ is supposed to be an ongoing city that is set on a hill as an example for all the world to see. That we are his hands and we are his feet and we are representing the kingdom of God on earth. That's powerful. So just as the city of Philadelphia was intended to be an ambassador, a representative of the rest of the Greek empire, so also the church of Jesus Christ, and you as an individual believer are called to be an ambassador, a representative. You are called, you and I are called to be a little slice of heaven here on earth. That's pretty big shoes to fill, isn't it? And yet this is exactly what God's desire for us is to be. And 1 Peter tells us, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. See, the problem with many Christians is that their view of themselves is far too low. What I mean by that is many Christians look at themselves and, and uh, act as if they are second-rate citizens in the kingdom of God. That I am not deserving for people to look at me, uh, that pe people shouldn't pay attention to me, because I don't have much to offer. Baloney! You are God's ambassador. Doesn't matter how much education you've had or how pretty your face might or might not be. You are the ambassador of Christ. You ought to be living like it. When the United States of America creates embassies in nations of the world, our, our most recent embassy was built in the city of Jerusalem. And when they built our embassy, the United States Embassy, in the city of Jerusalem, can I tell you, they didn't put a little shack made out of straw. 
Can I tell you, they didn't put some little hut made out of mud. You know why? Because that building in the city of Jerusalem is intended to represent who we are as a people. And America, if it is anything, it is not poor. And so we had, we built a fantastic building there. Maybe you've seen pictures of it. Representing our nation and our people. God does not intend to be represented on the earth by junk. You are precious in God's eyes because you are called to represent his kingdom. You are called to be a missionary. That's why every month we have a day that is set aside for world missions. Our last Sunday of every month, we put the focus and the spotlight on missionary work and missionary workers. That's because it's more than just uh, for people who are living in other nations. It is so helpful for every believer to have a missionary mentality. That the work of the kingdom is not here at this moment in the church service. The work of the kingdom is is when you exit those doors. That's when the work begins. That's when you are called to be a Christian. It's easy to act like a Christian up in here, right? It's easy to put a smile on our faces and open our Bibles and say, look, Pastor, I'm such a powerful Christian. The hard work is when you exit and when you go home and when your kids are acting up and when you and your spouse are having a fight and when you're at work and there's wicked music on the radio station. That's where it's hard to be an ambassador, to live the values of the kingdom in your life in a sinful and broken world. This is the city of Philadelphia. This city of Philadelphia was founded to be a missionary city that is proclaiming the values of Greece in, a, in an uncivilized culture. Now, Jesus... Jesus died for his church, and the gospel began to spread, and it finally came to this city of Philadelphia. The, the city of Philadelphia had been successful to convert a pagan culture around them to be an even more pagan culture. So uh, when we're talking about the Greek culture, even though we, we know that there was a lot of technological advancement at that time, and yet it was still pretty pagan culture. It was not a Christian culture. And so in the same way, though, here comes the church of Jesus Christ. And now uh, uh, the gospel of Jesus is called to do the same thing that this city was founded for. There was people who are called out and called, set apart in the city of Philadelphia to be a missionary people to a missionary city. Now it's to this audience that Jesus begins to speak in our scripture. And it's so amazing to me how Jesus represents himself to this church. Now, if you've been paying attention to these different letters, you will know that in each letter, Jesus presents himself in a different way to each church. Remember? To the church in Ephesus, he said, I am the one who holds the seven stars in his right hands. To the church in Smyrna, he said, I, I know your works. He says, I'm the God who knows where you are. To the church in Pergamos, he said, he said, uh, I am the first and the last. I'm alive, but I, I was dead and I came back to life. And so in each church, he's presenting himself in a very specific way, in a way that the people who would hear these letters would be very special to each one of them. 
And so to the church here in Philadelphia, listen carefully to how Jesus presents himself. He uses an Old Testament scripture to present himself. He says, these things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, he who shuts and no one opens. This is a direct quote from the book of Isaiah chapter 22. And if you would want to turn there quickly, Isaiah chapter 22 and verse 22, you will find that this is a quotation from the prophet Isaiah. Now, I preached a sermon on this scripture um, a few years ago because this absolutely blew my mind. This is, a, this is a scripture about a servant of the king. Look in verse 20 of Isaiah chapter 22. Shall be in that day that I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, I will clothe him with your robe, I will strengthen him with your belt, I will commit your responsibility into his hand. He shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. The key of the house of David I will lay on his shoulder, so he shall open, oh sorry, he shall, yeah, so he shall open and no one shall shut. He shall shut and no one shall open. I will fasten him as a peg in a secure place and he will, be a, he will become a glorious throne to his father's house. Hey, Pastor, what does all this have to do with the church in Philadelphia? That's a great question. As Isaiah begins to describe this man in Isaiah, his name is Eliakim. My servant Eliakim. Now, this is such an interesting character in the scripture. He was called to be the key holder of the kingdom. If you want to know who's in charge, look for the person who has the biggest key ring. You know what I'm saying? If you want to know who has access to the greatest amount of places, Look for the one who has the greater amount of keys. You know, pretty often I, I, I don't have my keys. Somebody took them and didn't give them back. But usually I, I have to take my keys out of my pocket because it's a key ring that has way too many keys on it. And so uh, in order to uh, stop from ruining all my pants, I have to take them out of my pocket and put them up here on the pulpit. And the reason is I have too many keys on my key ring. I have keys for doors here at the church. I have keys for my workplace. I have keys at home. I have keys for my cars. And the more keys you have, what does it say about you, the more keys that you have? It says you have access to more and more things. Are you hearing me tonight? So this servant named Eliakim in the book of Isaiah, chapter 22, he was supposed to be the key holder for the kingdom. And that's why it's interesting when it says that he will open and no one will shut. Also, he will shut and no one will open. Now, remember how we started this discussion. Jesus takes a quotation from that description of Eliakim and says it about himself. He is using that reference from Isaiah to describe who is Jesus Christ. These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, he who shuts 
and no one opens. Jesus is taking this description and applying it to himself. He is saying, just as Eliakim in the days of old would be the key holder to the kingdom of David, to the kingdom of Israel, that he would open the door and no one could shut it. He is also the one who would shut the door and no one can come in. Jesus says in the same way, I am the key holder of the kingdom of God. Are you hearing me tonight? So when Jesus says, I'm going to open the door for you, who can shut that door? When he says, I will close that, I will lock it, who is going to open that door? In other places, we know Jesus says that he holds the keys of death and of hell, right? That he took the keys from the enemy. That the enemy no longer has authority over death, but Jesus has taken the keys. He's the key holder tonight. This is so significant because understand that to the church in Philadelphia, Jesus is revealing himself as the great key holder. He who opens, no one can shut. And when he shuts, no man can open. Look at verse 8, where Jesus says to them, I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door. No one can shut it. For you have a little strength and have kept my word and have not denied my name. To the church in Philadelphia, he says, look, I know that you're weak. I know that you've been struggling, but there is still a door open to you. The one who is the keeper of the keys to the kingdom of God, he says, I have opened this door to you. And who can shut it? Because you have not denied my name. Now, this church in Philadelphia had experienced heartache. And if you've lived life for more than five minutes, you also will experience heartache, right? Think of the heartache that happens in our world today, even to good and godly people in the kingdom and in the church. Think of a couple, perhaps, who struggles with childlessness and barrenness, unable to have the children that they so desperately want. Think of uh, those who, uh, who, who struggle financially, a, a husband or a wife who loses their job and all of a sudden cast into difficulty. Think of people who are struggling in their marriage or with their children or with the death of a loved one. Think of those tonight who uh, would say that doors have been closed. Have you ever had a door closed in your face? And you think, God, that that there's supposed to be blessing here. God, there's supposed to be something good here. God, I'm a Christian. I'm trying to serve you. I'm trying to do what's right. But it seems like the door is closed. Do we believe that Jesus is the key holder to all of heaven and indeed of the earth? If we believe tonight that he is the Eliakim of the kingdom, that he is the key holder, then we believe that what Jesus said is still true. He says, I have set before you an open door. He is the one who opens and closes doors. He is the one who opens the door for you 
to receive salvation. You know that? You're not saved because you were smart enough and you figured it out. No. The reason you are saved tonight is because Jesus opened the door for you. He unlocked the key of salvation and opened up a door so that you can pass through by faith. Right? Our mother church in Chandler, Arizona is called The Door Christian Center. That name uh, we heard this week in the conference, Pastor Mitchell was preaching about where that name came from. He said that originally when the church started, uh, that there was nothing called The Door. And so they, they began a concert scene on Friday nights and Saturday nights, every weekend, two concerts. Because the, all the hippies, all you know, they just bring out a guitar and a crowd of hippies would flood. And all of them without shoes and a long hair would sit on the floor and they would get saved. And they called their concert scene The Door. And the reason Pastor Mitchell wanted that name is because no other church had that name. <laughs> he said we didn't want it to be some kind of religious atmosphere. He said we wanted to show people that this was the door. Jesus is the door through which we can come to be saved. Because when Jesus opens the door, who can close it? And when Jesus closes a door, who can open it? In the Greek, the original language that this letter was written in, it is more like not just the door, but it is the open door. It should be translated as a door that is open. God has created for us and for his church in Philadelphia an open door. No one can close that. Apparently this church, uh, according to historical documents and what we know, that this was not a big church. This was not a super powerful or a super rich church. There was not prominent members. There was not prominent finances. There was not a whole lot of people that were attending. It was a small church, much probably like our church here tonight. They had only a little strength. But Jesus, can I remind you that Jesus did not rebuke them for their smallness. A small church is not powerless just because it's small. There have been small churches throughout the history of, of Christianity. What is weird is when a church becomes huge, strange. 90% of churches are under 100 members. Did you hear that tonight? And so we, we shouldn't think ourselves weird or strange because there's not a lot of people counted as members. That's normal. The church of Philadelphia had only little strength, and he, he never rebukes them for that. What he did say is that even though they were small, they were faithful. They were committed. They did not deny his name. Even though you might feel weak, even though we feel like we might not be making a difference, the real question is this. Are we still faithful? Are we still committed? Are we still on fire? Are we still doing what we're supposed to do? Are we still in the midst of God's will for our lives? Luke 10, verse 2. The harvest is great, but the laborers are few. 
Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Even though the church in Philadelphia was small and without great strength, they were doing what they could. The reality here is that we are a fairly small church. We don't have a whole lot of influence. We can't put on big theatrical productions like the church in Jacksonville. We can't spend thousands and thousands of dollars on lighting and smoke and equipment. We can't do that, at least not yet. But one thing we can do is we can step through the doors that Jesus has opened for us. I believe tonight that there are plenty of open doors for us. Every day, you have an open door that you can pass through. The problem that we run into is we often focus on the things that we can't do. Oh, pastor, you know, I can't preach. You know, I can't, I can't get this right. I can't do this. I can't. We can't make a big difference. And because we get so wrapped up in what we can't do, we use it as an excuse for what we can do. Did you ever hear that old story about the man walking down the beach and there was a strange tide that day that had gone out quickly and it had stranded a bunch of starfish up on the beach. Slowly, they were all drowning. There was thousands of them. And there was one man who was, had noticed that all of these starfish were dying from the lack of water. And as he's walking down the beach, he's picking up one by one and he's tossing him back into the ocean. Somebody saw this taking place and saw that he was tossing these starfish back into the ocean. And they said, they said to him, there's so many dying starfish. What difference does it make? You're not going to be able to save them all. And he picked up one starfish and he said, well, it matters to this one. This one can appreciate. Toss it back in and continue to work. Now, you know, we may not have a Billy Graham here in the house of God, in, in, the, in the potter's house. We might not have a Greg Laurie or a Pastor Mitchell here tonight, but you're here. You might not be able to witness to thousands and thousands of people. You might not have the resources to, uh, to, to send missionaries around the world, but you have an open door. You have an opportunity. Every one of us, our church, as a congregation, we have an open door, just like the Church of Philadelphia. I, I believe that there are still sinners in Virginia Beach. There's still a few. I believe that over here at the Oceana Naval Air Station, there's still a few sinners in those, in those, uh, in those barracks. There's still a few people who need Jesus, who are desperate for him. There's still a few people in the high schools and the junior highs, and the colleges, and the universities, and, uh, and TCC right down the road. I believe that there are places, there are people, yes, there's a whole beach full of them dying and going to hell. But do we withdraw as God's people? Do we say, oh, too many, too much, I can't make a difference? Or do we engage tonight? Do we step through the open doors that God has given to us. 
little anecdote I want to share with you. There's uh, four people who went to the same church. Their names were Fred somebody, Thomas everybody, Susan anybody, and Joe nobody. They were neighbors, but they were not like us. They were odd people, and they were difficult to understand. The way that they lived was a shame. Listen to what they did. They were all part of the same church, but you would not have enjoyed worshiping with them. Uh, Thomas, everybody, always went fishing on Sunday or stayed home to visit with friends. Anybody wanted to worship but was afraid that somebody wouldn't speak to him. So guess who went to church? Nobody. Nobody was the only decent one of the four. Nobody did the visitation. Nobody worked on the church building. Once they needed a Sunday school teacher, everybody thought that anybody could do it, and anybody thought that somebody would do it, and guess who ended up doing it? Nobody. It happened that there was a fifth person, an unbeliever, who moved into the area. Everybody thought somebody should try to win him for Christ. Anybody could have made an effort, but guess who did it? Nobody. <laughs> it's a funny little way to remind us that when we are in a crowd, we are less likely to take an action. Did you know that? That the more people, the bystander effect, exactly. If you are walking down the street and there's a stranger who drops all of their belongings, if it's just you and one other person, most people will go and help that person pick up all their things. But if this same effect happens in a crowded room, like a high school, and some poor person drops all their books and their papers, and, and there's pa people passing all around, do you know what happens? Nobody helps. Because all the people who are passing by see the need and say, somebody will do it. Anybody could do it. Somebody must be able to help her. And nobody does. Oh, beloved, our church. Good Lord. Nobody is the most faithful member of our church. <laughs> what we need, we need people in positions. We need nursery workers. We need musicians. We need ushers. Right, Dave? We need faithful ushers. We need people who are going to be here and on time and dressed up and looking good. We need givers. We need goers. We need senders. We need people. And everybody says that somebody could do it. And somebody says that anybody could do it. But whatever, what ends up happening is nobody stands up. Nobody steps up. The church in Philadelphia was a small church, had little strength, but listen, they did what they could. If you've read the parable of the talents, you know the, where Jesus, he said about there was a, a landowner and he gave five talents to one man, two talents to a second man, and one talent to a third man. And we know that a talent is not the same as you know the ability to to uh, to do something, but a talent was a measure of wealth. It was a sum of money. He put five talents. We could say that that was you know uh, maybe fifty thousand dollars into the hands of one man, and twenty thousand dollars into the hands of another man, ten thousand into the hands of a third man. Now the amount of money that he gave to these men was insignificant. Do you know why? Because he expected each man to do what he could with what he had received. 
And so the parable goes on to say that the man with five talents, he took those five, that $50,000 investment, he put it to work, he started a business, and he made a profit. And when the master returned, he says, you gave me 50000 and look, I'm returning to you 100000 Well done, good and faithful servant, right? That's what you would say. And to the man who had 20000 the two-talent man, that it, this is so encouraging to me, that the man who had 50 and the man who had 20 both had equal praise from the master. Here's the 20000 you gave me. Look, I did something good with it. I invested it, put it here, and here I made a profit, 40000 back to you, 100% profit. That's pretty good. Good, well done, good and faithful servant. What is interesting about this parable is the man who only received the one talent, the $10,000. That man, he had a different view of the master. You remember the story. He said, I thought you were a harsh man. I thought, that, I thought to myself, I, I don't want to lose anything, so I took the 10000 and I stuffed it under my mattress. And I didn't want to lose it. And when the master returned, he pulled it out from underneath the mattress and said, here it is, 10000 Big smile, didn't I do great? He said, you wicked and lazy servant. Cast him into outer darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Whoa! Why is that? Because it doesn't matter what God has put in your life. It doesn't matter how much blessing He has placed in your life. The real question is, what are you doing with that blessing? You say, Pastor, I don't have much. I, I'm, I, you know, I don't have much to offer. I'm not a dynamic personality. I don't know how to deal well with people. I don't know how to play an instrument. Look, all that matters is that you're faithful with what you have. That you walk through the open door that God has put in front of you. This is why the Church of Philadelphia is encouraging to us. They were little in strength, but Jesus commended them. Did you know this is one of only two churches in Revelation that Jesus did not rebuke them? He did not correct them. He didn't have any negative words to say to them. He only commended them and encouraged them because they had been faithful. When the city around them was compromising, when they would cry out, Caesar is Lord, these Christians in Philadelphia stayed true to the word of God. They were not trying to blend in with their surroundings being chameleon Christians. You know what a chameleon Christian is? That you would never know that they were a Christian unless they followed them to church on Sunday one morning. Because they just blend in with the crowd. Blend in with whatever wickedness is happening around them. They could have done that in the city of Philadelphia, but they didn't. Jesus says, I'm watching you. And you have kept my word. You have not denied my name. Think about how easy it is to hide as a Christian. How easy it is for us to blend in at work. Somebody's telling a wicked joke. On social media, there's some kind of wicked post and you put a little laughing emoji. 
There's some kind of, uh, uh, there's expletives flying around. There's somebody of the opposite sex near you. And the world around us has no clue that we're different. Because they don't see anything different. This is so, so concerning in, in, in our generation. I call them the Monday morning atheists. People who go to church and lift their hands on Sunday, but nobody can tell the difference on Monday morning. Same as the world. Look the same, act the same, talk the same. And yet, the only difference is what they do on Sunday morning. That's not what God has called us to. We are called to be different. We're called to be different from the world. These Christians in the city of Philadelphia, they did not blend in. He said, you have not denied my name. Going on, it it gives us some details about what was happening in this city. Jesus says to them in verse 9, Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not but lie, Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. In other words, this church had been receiving great persecution from those people who called themselves Jews. Jesus makes an interesting point here that says, they say that they're Jews, but they're not really. And the reason he says that is because the true Jews would have received Christ, right? Those who are truly of the faith would have received Christ when he was there. But Jesus looks at this group that was persecuting the Christians and says they are liars. One day, they will come and fall down at your feet. One day, Jesus said, I will be faithful to show them. Often it is those who are in religious circles who attack the church with the greatest intensity. Have you ever noticed that? It's the religious who attack who attack the church the most. You know, I've been on a lot of outreaches. I've been on a lot of street preaching times, uh, standing on the street corner and shouting in a bullhorn, or handing out flyers and talking to people. Can I tell you, if it's a sinner, if somebody's demon-possessed, maybe, you know, they'll, uh, they'll, they'll shout some expletives, but mostly it's just they're just joking, they're moving forward, and they'll leave you alone. But if you ever run into a religious person on a street corner like that, I've been rebuked on the street by somebody for preaching the gospel. Oh, you're making a bad name for for the kingdom of God. Oh, you would never do that, shielding their children from our ears because we're talking about sin. This is what's happening to the Christians in Philadelphia. Those who had a strict code of rules and regulations. It's the Pharisees in the New Testament that opposed Jesus with the greatest intensity, right? It wasn't the sinners. The sinners loved Jesus, and Jesus loved them. But it was those Pharisees that were in love with their meticulous little rules, legalism. Often we can become those legalistic Christians who feel like they need to be the Holy Spirit and police everyone else in the church. Oh, I'm going to tell pastor on you. You know, what I believe tonight, I believe that the Holy Spirit is very good at His job. I believe that the Holy Spirit can convict people. That I don't need to be the Holy Ghost surrogate walking around and and convicting people. You know, I, I, I pray for people. 
when I see something. I pray for them and I say, God, bring them to me when they're in sin. So I don't have to go to them. Let the Holy Spirit deal with them. Because when we get caught in this uh, rules and regulation and legalism, we become pharisaical. The church in Philadelphia was faithful. Now let's close tonight and look at the reward that Jesus promised to them. Jesus, he commended this church because of their faithfulness, because of their perseverance, because of their commitment to the kingdom of God, and he promised them three things that I want to close with tonight. Three things that the Lord gives to faithful followers. Are you with me? Number one, he recognized them. He says, I will give you recognition. He will say, he would make the Jews who were persecuting them to admit that the church was loved by God. In other words, he was going to cause their enemies to recognize the truth. That's pretty sweet when it happens. When those who have come against the church, when they cannot any longer deny, that must be a work of God. When it is no longer uh, able to be denied, the enemies begin to recognize. This is what it says in Proverbs 16, verse 7. When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies live at peace with him. See, if you'll be faithful to God, even the enemies who come against you will one day admit, you're right, I should have been serving God. Even those who you think would never uh, uh, turn to Christ one day. Listen, that's the power of a testimony. Did you know that? Keeping a good testimony in the world today. Why backsliding is so, so terrible, so uh, destructive. Because, uh, Because when you keep a good testimony, people know who to come to when they're in trouble. They may laugh and mock. They may persecute. They may come against But I want to tell you, if you've got the real deal, if you're really saved, guess what? They'll know who to come to. They will be recognized. Second thing that Jesus promised them is relief. Look at verse 10. You have kept my command to persevere. I will also keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. In the first few centuries, in this region of the world, there were earthquakes that happened often. And so uh, it could be that when Jesus spoke those words, he says, I understand there's going to be some tragedy, some natural disasters. I will help you in the midst. That when the world around you is crumbling, I will protect you. It could be to do with that. But I think more likely what Jesus is trying to say is he's talking about the lifespan of the church. Here's something interesting about Philadelphia. Of all the churches that Jesus wrote to in the books of, in the chapters, Revelation chapter 2 and 3, you want to take a guess which church lasted the longest? Philadelphia. Of the seven churches, 
This church in Philadelphia, at the time that this letter was written, was a small church that had little strength. But they begin to have such an impact in this city that long after the rest of the region had fallen to the Muslims, Philadelphia remained a free Christian city all the way until the year 1392. For 1,300 years, this same church that Jesus wrote to in the book of Revelation chapter 2, for 1,300 years they remained right there in the city of Philadelphia. When the rest of the culture, when the rest of the city was destroyed around them, when the, the Turks and the Ottoman Empire came through, all of the other churches were destroyed, but Philadelphia remained as a Christian city, as a Christian culture. And to this day, we see the remains of the church in Philadelphia. God is able to open doors and no man can shut. That's a fulfillment of that promise. Finally, look at verse 11 as we close. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar. Everyone say the word pillar. I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from God, and I will write on him my new name. So in addition to the recognition of the enemies, the relief from attacks of hell, Jesus also promises the church in Philadelphia a reward. Say the word reward. Reward. Jesus promises an ongoing reward. The pillars are the most important part of any building. They are directly connected into the foundation. It is the pillars that hold up. Look, there's a pillar right there. And right there. And if we could see inside the wall back here, there'd be another pillar. There'd be pillars around. The reason that we can have this freestanding roof above our heads is because there are pillars holding it up. That's also true in any church. That Jesus is our foundation. Jesus is the one who laid the foundation of faith for us. But a church must have people who are pillars that are holding up the work of God around us. Jesus promises the church in Philadelphia, I will write my name on you. I will reward you. They will be like pillars. Can I ask you tonight, does the reward of Christ motivate you? Does it motivate you to think that one day in heaven you'll receive a reward from the Lord? I mentioned this before the service, but if I had uh, if I had five hundred dollars in my hand, let's imagine that that's five hundred dollars. And right now, I told you that I would give you five hundred dollars if you would call someone who's not saved and witness to them, would you do it? 
Of course you would. You say, $500, no problem. Give me a phone. But if I said to you tonight, call a friend and witness to them because God will give you a reward. Would you do it? So why are we more motivated by $500 than the reward of heaven? Hebrews 11, verse 6, without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and listen, that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. He rewards faithful people. Oh, beloved, we must be motivated by the reward of heaven. If we will be motivated to obedience, God loves to reward. You know, your parent in this place, don't you love to give good gifts to your children or grandchildren? (laughs) Don't you love to see them light up with a smile and reward them? Don't you love that feeling? Don't you think tonight that there is a Father in heaven who loves to give good blessings and rewards to his faithful children? Oh, I have so little strength. I don't have much to offer. There's not much I can do, Pastor. Let's learn from the Philadelphia church, a small church with little strength. But he was pleased with them. He was pleased. And he said, I'll reward you. I will help you. I have given you an open door. Who can close it? Let us learn tonight. Let us be motivated to continue to be faithful and committed as the church in Philadelphia was. Let's bow our heads tonight and close our eyes. As God is speaking to us and helping us once again, I'm so grateful for the people of God gathered here tonight in the house of God on this Sunday evening service. You are a faithful and a committed church. But God is not done with us. God has greater levels of faithfulness and commitment for us to achieve. There are open doors that stand in front of us. There are opportunities. God has placed in the hearts of men and women here tonight purpose, destiny. You and I must have the faith to step in through those doors, to believe God for whatever He's going to give to us. This church in Philadelphia ought to inspire you, ought to encourage you, because even though they were small, even though they had little strength, Jesus commended them. And he wants to encourage us tonight. Before we open this altar for prayer, are you here? You need Jesus. You need salvation. You need to put your trust in him before you leave this place to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. The Bible tells us that by the blood of Jesus that we can be washed, we can be cleansed, we can be healed of our sin and our unbelief. Before we leave this place, you can have 
a brand new start with God. If that's you, quickly, unsaved or backslidden tonight, you want to respond to this call, can I see your hand in the air? We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vvph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website at vvph.org and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people. Whoa.